Okay. Uh, praises be to our Father in heaven that we are able to study again his words and his commands. So we're going to talk about the fall of Jericho. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story of Joshua, how he enters the promised land. And because of the help of Yahuwah Almighty, he was able to lead the people of Israel into Canaan and to conquer the cities and the, the city dwellers there, the inhabitants there, according to the promise of our Father. However, there's a question here which seeks to connect the events that took place during the days of Jericho and the occupation of the promised land and the events that lead to the millennial kingdom. So let's go ahead and look at the question by which our theme for tonight is based. And this is what we find from our beloved sister. I'm not going to mention the name of our sister, but she's pretty astute, as you can see, based on the question that she's asking here. It says, she says, Brother John, is there a pattern or symbols we can learn during the time of Joshua when they blow the trumpets for Jericho's fall uh, to the future judgment days blowing the trumpets? I just noticed well, that during the time of the fall of Jericho, there were two spies, and in the last days, there will be two witnesses. So she makes a connection there. Uh, there were seven trumpets, and they carried the Ark of the Covenant with the two tablets of Abba's commandments were kept uh, while they marched around Jericho's wall. Joshua 6, verse 12 says, Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priest took up the Ark of Yahuwah. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the Ark of Yahuwah and blowing trumpets. And in Revelation 11, verse 19, after the seven trumpets sounded, then the temple of God was open in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. Here it mentions the ark of the covenant. I just realized how significant the ark of the covenant is back then and up until judgment day. So the person asking this question, our sister, she's able to see certain patterns that begin to emerge when she looks at the event of Jericho's fall and also the event that lead to the end times and the bringing forth of the occupation during the millennial kingdom. And so these patterns that we find, according to what was written here and what is asked here, first of all, she speaks of two spies, right? Uh, and during the times of Jericho, and in the last days will be two witnesses, so two spies, two witnesses, that's one pattern. Another pattern are the seven trumpets. During the days of Jericho, the priests had seven trumpets, and the last trump, the, on the seventh day, um, that was also the blowing of the seventh trumpet. And so the theme of seven trumpets and the seventh day of blowing of trumpet is present. Not only that, also it mentions the Ark of the Covenant, which is significant in both the occupation of the promised land in Canaan and also our entrance into the temple of God, which is in heaven. So these are the patterns that we find uh, when we compare Joshua chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 11. First of all, there are two spies and two witnesses. There's the pattern of the seven trumpets and the seventh day blowing the trumpets. And there's also the Ark of the Covenant. So let's look at these patterns and see what kind of lessons we can acquire for ourselves so that we can apply in our life to prepare for the second advent of our King Yahusha. Let's go look at two spies and two witnesses. Are they connected? Are they related? How does this inform us today? Well, let, to go before we answer that question, let's look at the promise of Yahuwah to Joshua. Remember, Joshua is the successor of Moses. After Moses dies, Joshua, who happens to be, who happens to bear the true name of our Mashiach, and what is that? 
Yahusha. And so when we read in the Holy Bible, Joshua in Hebrew is actually Yahusha. And so Yahusha is the one who leads to the promised land, the people of Yisrael or Israel. And so here's Joshua. He has a promise from our father. After the death of Moses, the servant of Yahuwah, Yahuwah said to Joshua, which is Yahusha, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan, the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a wonderful promise from Yahuwah. You can only imagine what Yahusha, Joshua, was thinking about because the great leader, Moses, passed away and he was placed in a position to lead all of Israel to enter the promised land. That's a lot of pressure on a young person like Yahusha, Joshua. And so what promise did Yahuwah give to Yahusha, Joshua? He says, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise that's also been made to each one of us and something we need to learn to do in our journey, because just like Joshua, Yahusha, and the Israelites of old, we too are in a journey a journey where to the promised land and so we need to hold on to this precious promise wherein yahuwah says i will be with you i will never leave you nor forsake you does that promise sound familiar it should sound familiar to many of us because it's a promise we find in isaiah 41 isaiah 43 which relates of course to the work of salvation yahuwah has begun in us and is ongoing at this very moment so we have a promise from Yahuwah to Joshua or to Yahusha. And it's a twofold promise here because you have to keep in mind when it comes to occupying the promised land, it's not that easy. Yes, it's promised, but there are certain hindrances. There are certain obstacles that stand in the way, which is also true when it comes to our life today. This is why Yahuwah has promises uh, to Joshua or to Yahusha. What is one promise? Yahuwah says you will cross the Jordan River into the land. See, the Jordan River represented the first great obstacle. It stood in the way uh, for the people of Israel to enter the Promised Land because for them to enter the Promised Land, how are the millions of people going to enter when they have to cross that river? And so it would be an impossible task. But Jehovah says, you're gonna cross the Jordan River. Not only that, after crossing the Jordan River, you're going to have to face the inhabitants that are there. You're not just going to uh, give the king the, uh, the, 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 the promised land to the people of Israel. Oh, I'm glad you're here, Joshua. We've been waiting for you. Here's the promised land. You can go ahead and have it. Of course not. We're going to face battles, many battles. And one of the, phases, one of the main battles we're preparing for is the overtaking of Jericho, the fortified city. However, uh, Yahuwah says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. So Yahuwah gives a promise to Joshua 
and the promise is you're going to cross the Jordan, and after crossing the Jordan, you're going to take all the land that has been promised to you through Moses. And so these are the promises. However, there's a condition. What is that condition? In the book of Joshua, or Yahusha, 1, 6 to 9, be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and be very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for Yahuwah your God will be with you wherever you go. And so what is the condition Yahuwah gives to Joshua so that he will be with him and he will have no reason to be terrified? Bible says he has to be careful to obey all the law that Moses gave him. This is the Torah. And so the Ten Commandments was absolutely critical. And all the feasts and all the Sabbaths, this was important for the success of Joshua in leading the people of Israel to the Promised Land. This is why before we can enter the Promised Land, even during our time, there needs to be a restoration of the Ten Commandments of our father Yahuwah. This is why when Yahuwah says to Joshua, I will be with you, you have no reason to worry or to be afraid. He says that because when we obey the commandments of God, Yahuwah will bless us with strength and courage so that we can succeed. And so here's Joshua leading the people of Israel. And so before he enters the promised land, he's doing some scouting. And who does he send to kind of give him information about the land? Let's read the book of Joshua 2, verse 1. And Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shechem. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. And so Joshua, when he was overlooking the promised land, he wanted to gain information. Of course, to gain information during that time, you could not Google it. Right, he had to actually go there and have someone scout the land. So he sent out two spies. He wanted to gain information about Jericho and about the promised land. However, who got word of this and what represented as a great hindrance in the work of Yahuwah when it comes to occupying the promised land? Verses two down to three. The king of Jericho was told, "Look, some of the Israelites." have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. And so when the king of Jericho found out there were spies that were sent to look over the land, who got wind of this information? The king of Jericho. Somehow he found out that the, the spies went to the place of Rahab. And we studied all about Rahab before. And so we know Rahab, although she was a Gentile, a Canaanite, she, because of her faith, because of her reverence and fear of Yahuwah, decides to protect the, the spies when they were being hunted by the people of Jericho, sent by the king of Jericho. And so 
after they spied the land and they returned uh, to Joshua, uh, what kind of report did the two spies give to Joshua? If you still remember what happened long ago during the days of Moses, when Moses and the people of Israel were about to occupy the promised land, remember what Moses did? He sent out how many spies? 12 spies. And when the report came back, how many gave a good report? Only two, Caleb and Joshua. The rest gave a, an ominous report. They all said to Moses, there are giants there. The walls are super high. They probably saw the walls of Jericho, right? And so we cannot get, we cannot go through them. Let's go back to Egypt. But Joshua says, no, Yahuwah has given them over to us. Let's go get them. And so Joshua during that time was a good witness because his witness was based on faith. And that is what we need to do when we are witnesses. We witness based on our faith. Anyways, what happened when the two spies come back and report to Joshua? Joshua 2, 22-24, when they left, they went into the hills and stayed there for three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. He said to Joshua, Yahuwah has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. And so when the two spies come back, they report to Joshua and tell him everything that they saw. In other words, the two spies were actually two witnesses, right? Because they went to the land to provide information to Joshua. And one of the functions of a witness is to provide evidence for what you saw. Not just, to, not just to say what you saw, but to provide evidence for what you saw. That's what makes a witness a witness. You don't simply say something, you give proof. And so these two spies became two witnesses because they provided information and gave evidence for what conclusion they made. And so what was the conclusion? The Bible says, and you can look at the highlighted, Yahuwah has surely given the whole land into our hands. That was the conclusion based on the information they got. And what's the proof? All the people are melting in fear because of us. And so the people there, they sense they were afraid of Yahuwah because they heard, because Yahuwah became famous of what he was able to do. Because prior to this, there were many battles that took place. And the people in this land area, they kind of caught wind of this information and so they began to become afraid of Yahuwah and the people of Israel. So the two spies, they represented two witnesses who gave evidence for what they believe, which is Yahuwah will surely give the whole land into our hands. So the two spies are saying, let's go get the promised land. Yahuwah has given them to us. Now, is, could this be related to the two witnesses? In the book of Revelation. Well, let's go look at Revelation 11, 3 down to 4, and I will give power to my two witnesses. I want to pause there for a while. Do you know why there are always two witnesses? Because according to, to uh, the book of Deuteronomy, for a legal matter or for something official to be made, there has to be in the presence of at least two witnesses, right? And so at least two witnesses is what is needed when you are proclaiming something and you expect the people to accept what you're saying to be true. You need at least two witnesses. So here the Bible is telling us in Revelation 11, 
that he, Yahuwah wants to announce something. He wants to tell pe the people of the world something. And he's using two witnesses. And I will give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. So according to scriptures, the two witnesses during the end times, because this will happen after um, or before, I should say, the blowing of the seventh trumpet. That's the context here. And so these are the events that will take place before the rapture, before the harpazo, and before the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua. And so before we enter the promised land in heaven, right, there's going to be the work of these two witnesses. This is much, this is, this is the same pattern that we see in Jericho. Before we enter the promised land or before they occupy fully the promised land, right, because they just crossed the Jordan River, well, they have to be sent two spies, basically. And so here, Yahuwah sent two witnesses. And what will the two witnesses do? Well, Bible says they are likened to two olive trees and two lampstands. Do you remember our study concerning the two witnesses? Who were the two olive trees and two lampstands mentioned there? In the book of Zechariah, the two olive trees and the two lampstands identify Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, to be the two witnesses who were preparing for the building, the rebuilding of the temple to be dedicated to Yahuwah. And so that was the purpose of the two witnesses in the Old Testament. But this is the end times, and again, it's connected to the building not just of the spiritual temple, but also the millennial temple in preparation for the millennial kingdom. So we have connections, we have patterns that connect Jericho and this event as well. Now, what are the characteristics of these two witnesses? Let's read Revelation 11, 5 to 6. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. This is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. They have power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. And they have the power to turn the rivers and oceans into blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. And so what do we know about the two witnesses? They have authority and power given by Yahuwah. And this is not an ordinary kind of power. This is power that will get your attention. Why is that? Because we are in the end times. And Yahuwah wants many people to be saved. And so he's going to send two witnesses who will not just preach the word of God. They will preach with power. What kind of power? Power that surpasses our understanding of human power. They're going to do something miraculous. They're going to have uh, the authority of Yahuwah that will make them uh, miracle workers. This is why when you look at what the characteristics are, they will have fire from their mouths that consume their enemies, power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall, power to turn rivers and oceans into blood. And so this is not your ordinary preacher. This is not your ordinary witness. And so we're going to basically kind of uh, get the attention of people. And so they have power, but what are they witnessing about? What are they testifying about? Well, let's go ahead and read the book of Revelation uh, 11, 7 to 12. When they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them, and he will conquer them and 
kill them. So what are they testifying about? They're testifying that the beast is not the true Messiah, that the beast is not the true king, because at this point, many people will believe that he is the Messiah. But Yahu the, the, the witnesses, you're going to preach that Yahusha is a true Messiah, that he is a true king. And because of this, many people did not like the, the preaching of the two witnesses, because many people during this time are going to adore, admire, and worship the beast. It will provide peace and safety and prosperity for the people throughout the world, because he would appear to be someone who is like a Messiah because of the things he will be able to do. And so the two witnesses, empowered by authority from Yahuwah, he's going, they're going to work against the beast. However, what will the beast be able to do? Eventually, they will kill them, right? And so what happens after they're killed, though? Let's keep reading. And their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figurative, figuratively called Sodom in Egypt, the city where their Lord was crucified. And for three and a half days, all peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them. All the people who belong to this world will gloat over them and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of the two prophets who had tormented them. But after three and a half days, God breathed life into them and they stood up. Terror struck all who were staring at them. Then a loud voice from heaven called to the two prophets, come up here, and they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. And so after the death of the two witnesses, what happened? The people rejoiced because apparently whatever message the two witnesses were bringing, the people did not like it. What they preferred was the message of the beast. And so we're thinking this beast who's going to be preaching his gospel is about worshiping him and he will show power and signs that will convince many people to, in fact, worship him. And people like, love that. This is why when the, the two witnesses began to preach, they did not like it. And so when they were put to death, they were rejoicing. They even gave presents to one another. But after three and a half days, what happens to the two witnesses, the two prophets? The Bible says that they resurrect. They get back on their feet. God breathed life to them, and they stood up. Not only did they stand up, the Bible says, come up here. And so they go up. They ascend to heaven. And the word come up here, it's not the harpazo kind. It's like the same kind of word depicting Yahushua when he ascended to heaven. And so what we find here is the two witnesses not only preach about Yahushua and the gospel, they also acted out. You notice that? They acted out the gospel. How so? They died, right? And then they were resurrected, and then they ascended to heaven. And so people should have no excuse. If they still reject the Messiah after this, how can they ever accept the Messiah? There are two witnesses who preached about Yahushua. Not only did they preach about Yahushua, they acted out what happened to our King Yahushua so they can be witnesses for themselves with their own eyes what Yahushua was able to do some 2,000 years ago. This is why people have no excuse. Yet when this happened, right, there are so many people who are going to reject Messiah. And so the two witnesses uh, during this, the end times and the two witnesses during the days of Jericho, 
they both served a purpose, which is to prepare the people to enter the promised land. Okay, and so what is our role? What can we learn from this? Well, we too are witnesses, right? It's not just the two witnesses who are going to witness. We too are witnesses. What's the proof? In the book of Acts 1 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We, the assembly, according to our King Yahushua, during the first century, they were to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, and this arrived on the Pentecost. And so what was the purpose of the Holy Spirit? So that they and we, because we all belong to one assembly, we, the assembly, our responsibility is to be what? Witnesses for our King Yahusha. What does it mean that we are witnesses for our King Yahusha? We ought to be telling people about Yahusha everywhere. Wait a minute. How are we going to be effective witnesses? Right? Yes, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. But we cannot just say to people, you know what, believe in Yahusha. He is the Messiah. We can't just do that. We have to what? We have to give proof. We have to give evidence. This is why in the book of Acts 1, 3 to 4, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command to not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And so according to our King Yahushua, the, the assembly, the ecclesia, the body of Yahushua, his disciples, when they give testimony about Yahushua, we ought to be giving evidence, right, for why Yahushua is the Messiah. This is why we're studying prophecy. This is why we're studying Old Testament, because that's additional evidence, biblical evidence that Yahusha is indeed the Messiah. What else? We ought to speak about the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is going to be established here under the leadership and kingship of our King Yahusha. So this is what we need to do as witnesses. It's not just the two witnesses. All of us must be witnesses. And we speak and testify about our King Yahusha by giving convincing proofs concerning who he is and to speak about the kingdom of God. So that's what the two witnesses can teach us. Well, how about the seven trumpets? What can we learn from the seven trumpets and is it connected somehow? In the book of Joshua, let's go back again to Joshua. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. Then Yahuwah said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. You know, Jericho's in trouble because they're already afraid, right? What's the proof they're afraid? They, they shut up, they, they, they shut down the city. <laughs> and when, when a whole city and the king himself is afraid, the whole people are, are really doomed. But the one thing they have going for them is that Jericho is a fortified city. That was the problem faced by Joshua. How are they going to overcome the fortified walls that protected Jericho, right? Because when you look at ancient Jericho, this is an artist's rendition of how it may look like. It's a city protected by two sets of walls. So you climb one wall, and there's another wall. 
and there are people, soldiers guarding that. And so not only that, but according to excavations, some of these walls are like 46 feet high and they're built on mounds. And at the base, you have the retaining wall and you have an additional wall. And so you have two sets of protection. And so it was really impenetrable. And so, I mean, if you're a military strategist, what you can do is you kind of wait it out and let the people of Jericho, because they're closed in, they lock themselves in, you can wait out, wait it out and let them starve to death. But of course, that, that was not Yahuwah's plan. What did Yahuwah instruct Joshua to do? So that the walls of Jericho can be overcome. Let's read in the book of Joshua, 6, 3 to 5, march around the city once with all the armed men do this for six days, have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them uh, sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. This is the strategy of Israel to overcome Jericho. How many here, if you're a military strategist, would agree this is a good strategy? Humanly speaking, human wisdom, this doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, when you look at what they're going to do, they're going to have priests having trumpets. <laughs> they're going to carry the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to march around the city. And when you think about, wait a minute, if we're going to march around the city, won't we be exposed? Right? The people maybe are archers and they could be flying their arrows against you. I mean, this doesn't make any sense military-wise. But why did it make perfect sense for Joshua? Because it was a direct command from our father, Yahuwah. You see, when Yahuwah gives a command, don't try to make sense out of it too much, you know? Obey it. If we know it's surely a command of Yahuwah Abba, it's for our own good. And so the people of Israel, this is what we were supposed to do, circle the city for seven days. And not only that, they were to blow trumpets, right? So they blow trumpets. So not only are they exposing themselves walking around, they're announcing to the people in Jericho that they're there, right? They're blowing trumpets. And so they're attracting attention. And so the people, the people of Jericho know that they're there. Ex the Israelites are exposed. What else did Yahuwah tell the people of Israel to do? Uh, when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before Yahuwah went forward blowing the trumpets and the ark of Yahuwah's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, do not, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of Yahuwah carried around the city, circling it once, then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. So there were seven days in Yahuwah's battle plan, right? On the seventh day, what will happen to the walls? It will collapse. Notice seven days. The first six days, they were to circle it only how many times? Once. But on the seventh day, something else is instructed. What is that? What happened? 15 to 17. On the seventh day, 
they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times. So for the first six days, they marched around the city only one time. On the seventh day, they marched around seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, so this would make it the seventh trumpet, right? The seventh and last trumpet. And so the seventh and last trumpet, what would follow that? Joshua commanded the people, shout, for Yahuwah has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to Yahuwah. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she can despise the sent. So according to scriptures, on the seventh day, they are to circle the city seven times and they're going to blow the trumpets. And after blowing the trumpets, the seventh trumpet, they're going to give a shout. And this is what they did. And after they blew the trumpet, the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, and they gave that shout, what happened? Let's read Joshua 6, verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. And so the city was taken. The walls were broken on the seventh day. I want you to keep that in mind. The seventh day marked an important milestone for the people of Israel. They broke through Jericho, which was the major hindrance in occupying the promised land. And so the trumpet, the seventh trumpet sounded together with a shout. So a trumpet and a shout caused the walls to come tumbling down, right? And was this connected uh, to the day of judgment or the day of our, the appearing of our King Yahushua? Well, you have to keep in mind, uh, brothers and sisters, there was not only a trumpet, there was also a shout. Do you know what is also present when our king appears, when he descends from heaven, so that the harpazo can take place? Do you know what also was heard? Was there also a shout? Was there also a trumpet blown? Let's read the book of Thessalonians for the Lord himself, which is Yahushua, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Amazing. Just like in the days of Jericho, when there was a shout on the seventh trumpet, this time... In the end times, there is also a shout. There is also the trumpet of God. And uh, our King Yahushua will descend. And there will be harpazo, or raptured to be together with him. Is this the seventh trumpet? Yes. Revelation 11, 15 and 18. The seventh angel blew his trumpet. So this is the seventh, which is the last trumpet, because there were seven angels, each given one trumpet. So this was the last trumpet. The seventh angel blows his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, the world has now become the kingdom of Yahuwah and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders sitting on their thrones before God fell with their faces on the ground and worshipped him. And they said, we give thanks to you, Yahuwah God, 
the Almighty, the one who is and always was. For now, you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nation were filled with wrath. The nations were filled with wrath. But now the time of your wrath has come. It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all who fear your name for the least, from the least to the greatest. It is time to destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth. You notice when that trumpet is blown, that seventh trumpet, it would mean blessing to some, but woe to others. You notice that? It's the same thing during the days of Joshua. The trumpets were blown, it was blessing for Israel, but not for Jericho. And so when this day comes, when the trumpet is blown, those who belong to our king, it's a blessing. They get their reward, they get their inheritance, because they're heirs together with our king. But for those who don't belong to our king, the Bible says, woe to them, because they're going to be destroyed, because the wrath, the wrath of Yahuwah is going to be released upon the earth that would not be a good time to be staying on the earth it's a good thing there are those who will be escaping that wrath and they're going to be harpazo together with yahushua and they will not face this wrath of yahuwah Abba. so this takes place at the seventh trumpet now this makes sense because of the pattern of seven remember the plan of yahuwah for the earth it is seven days the creation took place in seven days. Each day corresponds to a thousand years. And so the first six days is what is really allotted for the earth to belong to the enemy. But on the seventh day, it's going to be given to Yahushua. It's going to be the king on the seventh day. And so the trumpets are blown to announce that. So Yahushua is going to be king for the seventh day. And so if each day is a thousand years, that represents what? The millennium kingdom. That is when we have our rest with our, with our king, Yahushua. This is why tabernacles is celebrated for how long? Seven days, right? And so when the seventh day comes, when Yahushua appears and the millennial kingdom is established, we're going to enjoy set 1,000 years of rest with Yahushua as king here on earth, which is the promised land here on earth, but well, we also know the tabernacles has an extra day, the eighth day, which is a transition from the, head, the earthly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem here on earth, to a new Jerusalem in heaven. And so the blowing of trumpets signals us to prepare for the appearing of our king, Yahushua. This is why it is a reversal. So we have the day of trumpet celebration. We commemorated the birth of our king, Yahushua, which ushered the first advent, but we're also rehearsing the appearing again of Yahushua, which is his second advent. So we blow trumpets to prepare us for the appearing of our king. What, what does it mean to prepare? How can we prepare for the appearing of our king? Well, when we look at the Moedim, after the Feast of Trumpets, what follows immediately? The Bible says on the 10th day, right, after the first day of the seventh month, on the 10th day, we have the day of atonement and so in a way we prepare and rehearse for the second advent of our king Yahushua by also preparing for the day of atonement and so when the trumpet blast is sounded it is a signal also to Yahuwah's people that we must 
begin preparing for the 10th day, which is the day of atonement. And so how do you prepare for that? What is Yahuwah's requirement on the day of atonement? The Bible says we are to afflict our souls. And we talked about what it means to afflict our souls. It means to humble ourselves. And there are people who humble themselves by fasting. There's nothing wrong with fasting. However, if we're going to fast, we need to get medical clearance first. Right? Get medical clearance. Talk to your doctor. You know, I plan on fasting because I want to humble myself. And every time I have this hunger pang, instead of filling it with physical food, I'm going to pray to Yahuwah and ask him to nourish me spiritually instead. In this way, I am training myself to control the flesh so that the spirit of Yahuwah can be more evident in my life and I can live in the spirit. And so that's one way we can afflict our souls. We humble ourselves by keeping away from the works of the flesh. We put to death the works of the flesh by causing it to slowly die, right? And we, in, we work on living according to the spirit. So the trumpet blast, one of its purposes is to prepare for battle, to prepare for the arrival of our king, and also to prepare us for that event. And the way to prepare is by repentance. This is why in Isaiah 58 verse 1, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast, shout aloud, don't be timid, tell my people Israel of their sins. And so one purpose of the trumpet blast, which is in preparation for the Day of Atonement, is to also announce to the people of Israel, now is the time to begin repenting. And in that repentance, we can fast. However, what kind of fasting does Yahuwah want? Because there are those who fast and do away without food, but then that kind of fasting somehow does not appease Yahuwah. It doesn't please him. And so Isaiah 58 gives us a guideline so that when we prepare and abase ourselves and humble ourselves, we can be well prepared for that day. Isaiah 58 verse 3, we have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why I respond. It is because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. And so the Bible tells us that when it comes to doing a fast, like doing away without food, I mean, if you want to do that, that's good. But what is your purpose? What is our motivation? If it's to please ourselves, to make ourselves look good, then that's not what Yahuwah wants. Because if you're fasting, you are taking, you are taking action, and your action includes external work, like fasting, but internally you're not changing, which is why you oppress your workers, right? The Bible says that kind of mismatch is not pleasing to Yahuwah. You see, when we fast, it has to do with integrity. What does that mean? Well, our self-abasement when it comes to not eating food should match an internal change in our life. This is why in Isaiah 58, 4 to 5, the Bible tells us what kind of fasting Yahuwah does not want. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please Yahuwah? The Bible talks about 
the kind of fasting Yahuwah is not pleased with. It is when you fast, but you're still fighting and quarreling. You know, this tells us a lot. This tells us the kind of fasting Yahuwah wants is when we are, when the, the fasting triggers an internal change in our life that makes us more tolerable of the people around us, which makes us more loving and forgiving of the people who are with us. This is why fasting and fighting does not go together. Fasting and quarreling does not go together. And so the purpose of fasting is to get us to treat others with love. Fasting ought to trigger in us this capacity to love one another, which is an important component, an important part of us being pleasing to our Father. And when we do this kind of fasting, you know, when people fast, what also is not pleasing to you, but also it was his criticism to his people in the past when they fasted. Let's read, no, this is the kind of fasting, I want. this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned, lighten the burden of those who work for you, let the oppressed go free and remove the chains and bind people, share your food with the hungry, give shelter to the homeless, give clothes to those who need them, and do not hide from relatives who need your help. And so the kind of fasting Yahuwah really wants is when we help those who are helpless, when we provide for those who are in need, when we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. This is why you know, in this preparation for the Day of Atonement, I think we ought to be practicing this. What do you think? Right? We need to love each other, help each other, provide for each other, look for those who are needy, who are needing the homeless and help them out. Because when we do this, we're showing to Yahuwah, we're serious. We're serious about repentance. And when Yahuwah sees us doing all this, you know what Yahuwah promises? Let's read 13 uh, down to 14. But before that, there's also something else Yahuwah wants. 13 and 14, keep the Sabbath be holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak to it with delight as Yahuwah's holy day. Honor the Sabbath and everything you do on that day. And don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then Yahuwah will be your delight. I will give you great honor, satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, Yahuwah, have spoken. So when it comes to true fasting, it's about helping other people, loving other people, and loving Yahuwah and delighting in his presence, especially on the Sabbath. So we are to keep the Sabbath day holy. And so when we do this, we practice true fasting, true repentance, true humbleness and humility. What is the promise of our Father Yahuwah? Then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of Yahuwah will protect you from behind. Then when you call, Yahuwah will answer, Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply, Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. Yahuwah will guide you continually, giving you water when you were dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. That's a good set of promises. And it's very, very relevant, isn't it? Bible says you will 
you will receive salvation. Your wounds will heal. He will lead us forward. He will protect us from behind. He will say to us, I am here when we pray. He will be our light and the light will shine out from darkness. He will guide us continually. He will restore our strength and we will be like a well-watered garden and can ever flow in spring. That is the promise of Yahuwah for those who take seriously the repentance. This is why on the Day of Atonement, when the people of Israel would gather and they would be blessed, the result is a celebration, which is why the Day of Atonement follows what? Tabernacles, right? So you have the announcement, the preparation, the warning, trumpets, and then you have the repentance, all the way that leads to the Day of Atonement. You have repentance and affliction of soul. And then you have the eight days of celebration. And so that's kind of the pattern that Jehovah wants us to learn. Now, why is the blowing of trumpets for the purpose of repentance even more important today? Today, well, let's read the book of Joel 2 verse 1. Blow the trumpet, sound the alarm on Zion, God's sacred hill, tremble, people of Judah. The day of Yahuwah is coming soon. The Bible says when the day of trumpets comes, and there's a blowing of trumpets, it prepares the people of Israel for the day of atonement, right? However, we are not just pre preparing for the day of atonement. We are also preparing for the day of Yahuwah. And the Bible says the day of Yahuwah is coming soon, and we ourselves can testify to that because all the signs given to us by our King Yahusha recorded in Matthew 24, Luke 21, all of these events are taking place one after the other. We know we live in a time when Yahuwah is coming soon. This is why when we blow the trumpets during our time today, we need to understand that. We need to, it needs to cause us to repent with more sense of urgency now more than ever before because we're very close to when Yahuwah is coming. So the Bible says, blow the trumpet. This is in Joel, right? And what must we do? Uh, even now, declares Yahuwah, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart not to garments. Return to Yahuwah your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. And so when it comes to true repentance, the Bible tells us it has to have a goal. And that goal is not just to rend our heart, but to return to Yahuwah. And so when we prepare for the Day of Atonement, when we prepare for the Day of Yahuwah, always we need to practice repentance. And the fruit of our repentance ought to be closeness, closeness and intimacy with Yahuwah through Yahusha. Why does Yahuwah want us to practice returning to him? Because Yahuwah is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. His love causes him to want to bring us to him, even though we are sinners. This is why the Day of Atonement is also an opportunity you know, to kind of look at ourselves, examine ourselves, so that we can work back and re restore that relationship we have with Abba. And so when the trumpet is called, blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. And so part of the, what, the reason why we have an assembly is so that we as a people can prepare for the day of Yahuwah. And how can we recognize those who are being prepared for the day of Yahuwah and receive salvation? Joel 2, 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, 
Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of Jehovah comes. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of Yahuwah shall be delivered for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as Yahuwah hath said and in the remnant whom Yahuwah shall call. And so there are people who will respond to the work of Yahuwah in the last days. How can we recognize them? Bible says they will call upon his name. They will call upon him in the world. Why? Because they will live in the spirit. And by living in the spirit, what does the spirit enable us to do? Understand the teachings of Yahuwah, the teachings of Yahusha. Remember, we cannot just read the Bible. We must read the Bible with the spirit in us. This is how we are to prepare ourselves for that advent of our king, Yahusha. So the seven trumpets, it teaches us that as the people of Israel throughout the seven days, they kept blowing trumpets every day until the last day, right? As a way to prepare themselves for the day of the deliverance, we ought to also keep blowing the trumpets, keep repenting every day, because repentance must not only take place today, it should be every day to prepare us for the second advent of our King Yahushua. Let's go to our last one, the Ark of the Covenant. In Joshua, if you still remember, Joshua was given a promise and it was to cross the Jordan. And the other promise was to give every place in the promised land to Joshua and to the people of Israel. And when it comes to crossing the Jordan, do you know how they were able to do it? Let's read here the book of jo uh, Joshua 3, 9 and 13. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here, listen to the words of Yahuwah your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly Drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hebites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of Yahuwah, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like Exodus, doesn't it? It sounds like the Exodus when the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea. So this is like another Exodus. And what is the purpose of this demonstration of power? So that the people of Israel will know that Yahuwah indeed will drive out all the people who are in Canaan or in the Promised Land. Yeah. And so what the Bible is telling us is, you know, the Ark of the Covenant was utilized as an instrument in leading this exodus, in leading this crossing of the Jordan uh, River, right? And so because of this, they were able to do something miraculous. It was a miracle, right? However, it doesn't stop there. When, else, when also was the Ark of Yahuwah, the Ark of the Covenant, used? In what we read earlier, the Ark of the Covenant was also used when they circled Jericho how many times? Seven times, right? The Ark of the Covenant was also there. And so in both instances, 
crossing the Jordan, destroying the walls of Jericho, the Ark of the Covenant was present. Why? What was the purpose of the Ark of the Covenant? Why was that significant? Let's read Leviticus 16, 15 and 17. You shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins have been, he is to, he is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement for the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. And so this ceremony took place on the day of atonement. And what was behind the curtain? It was one object behind the curtain in the most holy place or the holies, the holy of holies, stands a structure that is sacred and important to Yahuwah and to Israel. What is it? The Ark of the Covenant. And the cover of the Ark of the Covenant is called the mercy seat. And the blood of bulls is sprinkled there, as well as the blood of goats. And when that happens, Aaron, who is the high priest, who goes to the most holy place and sprinkles the blood of goats, the redemption work, the atonement work, takes place for all the people of Israel. And so the Ark of the Covenant that represents Yahuwah's mercy. And so it's called the mercy seat. So that the sins can be atoned for, and the reason why sins need to be atoned for is so that Yahuwah can be present. Remember, if there is sin, Yahuwah cannot be present. If there's atonement for sin, Yahuwah cannot be present. This is why what happens after the Day of Atonement. In Exodus, uh, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of Yahuwah filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of Yahuwah filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from, from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of Yahuwah was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And so the Ark of the Covenant, it was what was used for the atonement of sin. And once the sin has been atoned for, Yahuwah cannot tabernacle with the people of Israel. And so his presence and his glory and his guidance will be manifested. This is why when we think of the Ark of the Covenant, its purpose, its significance is it gives the people of Israel power because Yahuwah is with them. It gives them guidance because Yahuwah guides them with the cloud and, 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 the, and the fire. And it represents Yahuwah's presence in their midst in the tabernacle. So that's the Ark of the Covenant. Today, we have our King Yahusha, who, who gives us all this through the Holy Spirit. Today, we receive the power, the guidance, and the presence of Yahuwah through the Holy Spirit set in the name of Yahusha HaMashiach. This is why what the high priest Aaron could not do which is to completely remove the curtain, right? It separates the holy place from the most holy place. 
so that we can have access to what the Ark of the Covenant represents. Yahusha, our high priest, was able to do. The Bible says, Yahusha, he offered himself as a sacrifice to cover all the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. Remember that study? So that we can have access to the power, the presence, the glory, and the guidance of Yahuwah through the Holy Spirit in the name of Yahusha. And so when we look back during the days of Jericho, right, they crossed the Jordan, but they still have to fight. The promise was given, but Yahuwah did not fight for them. Yahuwah fought with them, but who had to do the actual fighting? People of Israel. And in the same way, you know, in our journey here on earth, we too have many obstacles, right? We have many hindrances. There's an adversary who is out to get us, but it's the devil. We have the beast upcoming. And so we have many adversaries. And so we need to rely upon the power, the guidance of Yehuwaka, that we will be able to break through walls, cross rivers, overcome all adversaries in order to enter the promised land. You see, without the power, which is represented by the Ark of the Covenant, without that power, we will not be able to make it. Human power is not enough. Human wisdom is not enough. What we need is that spirit of Yahuwah in us through our king, Yahusha. This is why, because of that power, we will be able to meet our king in the air. And once that happens, when the seventh trumpet is blown, what was seen in the book of Revelation 11, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, the world has now become the kingdom of Yahuwah and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Then in heaven, in heaven now, the temple of God was open, and the ark of his covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed, and roared, and there was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. So the Bible says when the seven trumpet sounded, heaven, the temple in heaven will be open. And what was seen? The ark of his covenant. What does this mean? This means those who are part of the Harpazo, you're going to be allowed to feel the full presence of Yahuwah, his majestic presence, there in the temple of God in heaven. This is why when we do battle today here on earth, we're doing battle, we're up against adversaries, and when we battle, we rely on the spirit of Yahuwah or the power and guidance of Yahuwah Abba, we will be able to break through walls, cross rivers, and overcome all adversaries so that we can enter the promised land. And once that happens, we will experience presence and glory of Yahuwah Abba in the temple of God there in heaven to be with him. This is why, brethren, the importance of the Ark of the Covenant, it represents our fellowship with Yahuwah, which was fulfilled by our king, Yahusha, when by his shed blood, we were given access to Yahuwah to enjoy his presence, his power, his guidance forevermore. And so that is a reason to be thankful. And so while we wait for the advent of our king, Yahusha, what must we do while we're waiting? Let's read one more final passage before we pray. John 16, 12 to 15, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Yahushua speaking to his disciples before he went up to heaven. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, 
He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Brothers and sisters, I want you to meditate on this passage. Yahushua speaking to his disciples, right? You notice Yahushua was there. He was face to face with his disciples, right? And then look at verse 12. What does verse 12 say? I have much more to say to you. When Yahushua was here on earth, he did not say to them anything. Yahushua says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. So Yahushua did not fully disclose everything when he was here on earth with his disciples. He did not fully disclose it. And this is Yahushua. This is what we call progressive revelation. This is why we need to understand when we follow the king, he will reveal to us step by step, not in one sitting. Yahushua did not reveal everything in one sitting, but step by step by step, right? And so what does this mean for us? It means if we want to be guided by our king, then we cannot be stuck in the past. We cannot say, well, this was not taught to us by quote-unquote messenger of God, the Felix Manala. I mean, we are not going against the teaching of the Felix Manala, right? We're not going against him. We're not saying we're against him. What we're saying is this. Yes, the Felix Manalo, he fulfilled his ministry. Praises be to our Father Yehovah, the best that he can. But the work of Yahushua does not end at the death of Brother Felix Manalo. Yahushua, who is who we are indebted to, we must keep following him. The work of Yahushua does not end at the death of Brother Felix Manalo. It continues because Yahushua does not die. He sits at the right hand of God. And what is he doing now? He's directing our work, directing our steps. This is what Yahushua said. Right now, you cannot receive everything. Because you cannot bear it now. But what is he going to send? The Spirit. And by means of the Spirit, what will they be able to receive? The truth. How will they receive it? The Bible says the Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you, Yahushua, through his spirit, will make known to us what comes from Yahushua so that we will know what to do step by step until finally we will be with him in the air. Yahushua says, that is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. This is why what we said earlier is this. We need the Bible, but we also need the spirit to help us understand what the Bible is telling us so that we can be fully prepared to meet Yahushua in the air. Brethren, do not be stuck in the past. Focus on the King, Yahushua. When we focus on the King, Yahushua, the Word of God in the Bible, it will come to, to life. It will guide us. But if our focus is not the King, if our focus is not Yahushua, if our focus is someone else, if our focus is earthly, then we're not going to receive that light. We're not going to receive that spirit. 
It's only when we make Yahusha our focus, our focus, it's only then that the Word of God recorded in the Bible will begin to lead us, transform us, to prepare us for our King. Hopefully, we understand what this means, and so we fully commit and devote ourselves to King Yahusha, who is the key, the key to unlocking the Scriptures. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, most holy Yahuwah Abba, we are truly thankful because you have made every possible provision from the beginning of your work of redemption to your work of restoration. You have made plans and purposes revealed to the prophets, fulfilled by your son, Yahusha. We are truly thankful because we are witnesses to the unfolding of your plans and purposes. Help us, Father, while we have time to proclaim this truth that we can prepare ourselves and we can proclaim to the people we love what needs to be done, that we can all receive your promised deliverance, your salvation. Our King Yahushua, we thank you so much for you are alive in our hearts. We focus on you. We need your spirit. We need the truth coming from you when we study the Holy Scriptures. Help us to understand how it all connects to the Moedim, to the plan and timeline of Abba. We know you are its ultimate fulfillment. Teach us every day. Teach our hearts through your spirit that we can be ready for your second coming. Father, thank you for listening to us. Help us to prepare for the Day of Atonement as we observe that feast. Help us to remember and to reflect upon our life and to repent, to be thankful for the work of your beloved son when he was sacrificed on the cross to be our high priest who offered himself for our sakes. Father, thank you so much for blessing your people. Help us to be truly repentant and teach us to be ready for that day. We ask and beg everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.